uh, greetings programs and welcome to a new episode of the awesome friday podcast i am your host matthew and joining me as is standard operating procedure is simon yes. <laughs> how are you today simon like i'm like the bass guitar in this live band like you can still play without me but it sounds off um i'm okay <laughs> i i um <laughs> I, I'm okay. I've calmed down a bit. If you listen to our bonus material, you'll hear me uh, squeaking, basically. Uh, but you'll have to become a Patreon <laughs> patron to listen to it. But so I've calmed down a bit now. Um, it's very nice to be back, and I'm very excited that it's Oscars weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends, not just because of the ridiculous circus show that is the Oscars, but also we get to live blog it which is always a lot of fun and uh, actually makes the night much more enjoyable. So that will be, I guess when this goes out, it's later today, right? So yeah, as of, as of the time we're recording this, it's tomorrow. And as of the yes. time our dear listeners are listening, our live blog will be this evening at awesomefriday.ca. So if you're Ooh. interested in following along with that, we do an old school live updating live blog rather than a tweet storm, although I'm sure we'll be tweeting as well. Or I will, anyway. Um and uh, it's always a lot of fun, and we enjoy doing it. It's one of the, <laughs> it's one of our like annual in-person hangout events too, which is nice. <laughs> so we, we we haven't done it in person <laughs> for yeah. years and years and years. But, yeah, you know, I mean, there's been fun. something something happened. I don't remember what it was, but uh, something prevented us from being in person the last couple of years. Oh, what was that? I don't. I don't know. Sorry, um, I can't remember. All I know uh, is that ro- that roving Shakespeare treat was pretty good. Sorry, I remember that. That's good. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was pretty good. You're talking, of course, about the one that um, Kevin Costner founded, and then he uh, found a mail <laughs> truck and uh, delivered the mail. That's the one you're talking uh, about, right? No, I'm talking about the one that Kevin Costner founded, and then he had to swim a lot. Oh, right, right. Of course. Of course. Of course. I mean, as long as uh, what we're really talking about is the one where Christopher Plummer um, does Shakespeare in an alien language. Uh, we should. There's a... Matt, you're you're always talking about that. No matter what the context, you could link it in three steps back to Christopher Plummer uh, quoting Shakespeare as a Klingon. Uh, I mean, yeah, talk back. I mean, so yes, it's uh, you haven't heard Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Klingon. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do enjoy. <laughs> I forgot about that line. I do enjoy how Star Trek keeps going back to Shakespeare, just randomly bringing out Shakespeare. Like it's I mean, the sign. It's the sign of ultimate like intelligences when they go back to Shakespeare. I mean, we as a society do that, so it makes sense. Star Trek is a reflection of our society. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. It's true. But yeah, it turns out the aliens do that too. And now I want to watch that movie. Good job. I've got it on Laserdisc. I might wheel that out later on today. I mean, it is the second best Star Trek movie after The Wrath of Khan. So um, It's the third best Star Trek movie after The Voyage Home. And the other ones? I don't know. I like the one with the whales and computer and nuclear <laughs> whistles. Like, I like the funny one that completely broke protocol with the previous movies. <laughs> yeah, the one that's actually also the third in a loose trilogy uh, started <laughs> in two, two and sure. three and four. And it's completely unlike what came before it. Uh, I just yeah, like it's definitely, like definitely, definitely lighter. Yeah. And I also recently I was I was scrolling TikTok and I heard someone say that the, the, the Voyage Home had... 
uh, environmental undertones to it. And I was like, no, those aren't, un- those are just the tones. Those are just the tones <laughs> of the movie. Like it's not. I was going to say, was this one of these hilarious TikToks? I was like, if you watch carefully, you can discover that uh, Star Trek The Voyage Home actually is talking about man's damage to the environment. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Some, I, I, um, if you watch, I, if you watch closely, while whilst your eyes are open, uh, you <laughs> might see it. <laughs> if you watch the movie, you might see this main theme pop up every yeah. frame. Uh, TikTok. Uh, people, people's hot takes on TikTok either um, make me laugh or infuriate me. I know that's uh, that's that's one of the main reasons why I stopped <laughs> because I was just getting too angry. Uh, like, yeah, interestingly, do people not just watch the movie. Do people not just watch movies anymore? Interestingly, I find that. Um, I'm I'm pretty forgiving of TikTok these days um, for a couple of reasons. One is that obviously the format is quite short. It's difficult to cram any meaningful information into like 15, 30 seconds or a minute. Um, but also a lot of the people who are big on TikTok are super young and they're fig- and like there's a it's interestingly I see like a lot of people being like say it with comments or response videos being like this person discovered lit 101 and like honestly this oftentimes the person that they're saying that to is like 19 and you know what they are discovering literature and analysis 101 and maybe we should celebrate that just a little bit that they're even trying you know like because <laughs> uh there's this real like I, i'm getting weird in my old age but there's definitely this weird condescension we have towards the young which i am just to be clear 100 guilty of <laughs> Um, I like how but, you're choosing empathy as you get older. I feel that's a common yeah. trait. I'm definitely doing the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, I, I think that sometimes like, I see a TikTok take and I'm like, this is infuriating. And if it's like someone who looks like me, i.e. a balding, middle-aged, cisgendered, bearded white man, I'm like, okay, like you need to just maybe pay attention to the things you're watching for the first time. But then when it's someone who's like 19, I'm like, fuck yeah, man, you're figuring it out. <laughs> And I kind of love it. So, I mean, context matters, is all I'm saying. How very grown up and nuanced of you. And that is, uh, that is my side tirade for the day. <laughs> uh, I like it. Yeah. I just want to say that I've been watching Poker Face with my wife, and it's fantastic. I know you've seen them all. I've no, I haven't, them. actually. We're up to episode three. We've seen three. I think oh, we've seen three. So, we're, we're, in the, we're, we're in the same boat. Yeah, we uh, we're purposefully not binging through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite the light, airy Columbo, modern Columbia, uh, modern Columbo that I was expecting. But what it is is really, really, really good. And I I read a really interesting interview with Ryan Johnson saying that when he pitched it to Peacock, he felt like he was insane because he was pitching a show that was basically the opposite of modern shows. You've probably seen this interview as well. Where he said, mm-hmm. "I'm just I'm not. I don't want to make a show." that forces people to tune in the following week. I'm making a show that gives them everything they want in one episode. And if they tune in again, it's because they want more of the same. And, uh, and it's funny how that's how TV always used to be. And um, it feels kind of revolutionary now not to have that through line of, of drip feeding to make people come back. And yeah, you know although saying, it does, um, it does have a very small through line, um, well, but it's not the point, right? Like it's unlike didn't have them at all though, did it? Um, no, I guess the it didn't. Barbecue episode didn't have him at all. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's definitely like even even what little bits of throughline are there are are not the point as yeah, they would yeah, be totally, in many totally. other shows. 
I'm, we're watching the A team with my kids, and they're loving the A team, and that's a similar kind of thing. It's complete like the thing you don't get anymore, which is the family action show. So you're the watching best. the '80s A team right now? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, with the kids, and they love it. And they, I mean, yeah, they name all the characters when they come up, and they're singing the theme tune, and. And, I mean, uh, it's a memorable theme tune, and <laughs> honestly, that whole Stephen—it's that's part of the Stephen J. Cannell universe of uh-huh. '80s television, is it not? Along, along with like Magnum PI and all yeah. of those, like he did every show in the '80s, pretty much. It was yes. him and Glenn Larson, yeah, yeah, pretty much like defined '80s television. Yeah. So and, yeah, uh, it's good, and and the kids really, really like how there are some clearly fatal car accidents. And then the overdub is like, John, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Or it's people like crawling out after being riddled with gunfire, like rubbing their elbows. Like, yeah. they, they really enjoy that. I just think to remember there was concern when I was a kid about that show potentially being too violent for kids. But I mean, <laughs> not, not compared to what they watch now. Sure. Older, older conservative people are always making that claim. So, so I, talking of which, I put on Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom. And uh, the last oh, you mean that other good movie in that series? Hot, <laughs> no, hot take. Of, hot take. Of, I know, but talking of violence in front of kids, my twelve-year-old son watched it front to back, and I, I actually, um, true story, I passed out after the first scene, which is one of the best opening scenes ever, and uh, I woke up twenty minutes from the end, and we've been holding off on Indiana Jones because we we thought we'd have to watch it with them. And the only thing he didn't watch was the kid being, or the guy being uh, sacrificed into lava spoiler. And he watched the rest of it and absolutely loved it. Wait, did he, did he watch the scene of the dude having his heart ripped out? Yep. Oh, good. Awesome. Right. That's what I, uh, these are the questions I asked him. I'm like, wait, so did you watch the heart? He's like, yeah. And, and like the guy being rolled through the roller, he's like, "Yeah, left a blood smear. It was disgusting." I'm like, what about the, uh, well, the the monkey brain? Did you watch Monkey Brains? Yep. And the Secret Passage? Yep. And uh, turns out he loves Indiana Jones, so we're gonna we're gonna exploit that for sure. Did uh, did he pick up on the problematic racist overtones? I mean... No, he's twelve. He well, that's a his face value. Come on. It's a it's a thing to work on. I'm just saying. Uh, it's fine. It's okay to like things that are problematic. You just have to it's understand fine. that they are problematic. It's it's fine when they weren't trying to be racist at the time, right? And and it's good that no. you look. It's good. It's good <laughs> that no, no, no. But I like the Warner Brothers approach, which is look, they weren't trying to be racist, but we know it's super racist. So yeah. watch it. Watch it with that framework. We're not going to censor it. We're not going to take it away. But it's a discussion, and it's good to ha- like. Education is better than censorship, always. So yeah, for sure, it's, it's good to have that discussion. Uh, yeah, okay. I I agree. Good. So we could awesome. talk about Indiana Jones for the next hour, couldn't we? But what are we talking about this week? <laughs> we <laughs> could talk about segue. we could talk about Star Trek and Indiana Jones for <laughs> the rest of time. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. Um, but this week we are going to talk about two new movies, one, one Canadian festival darling and one newer, um, I don't know festival darling, but it's definitely a festival type film that premiered at the Burnout Alley recently, both of which are going into, as, as of the time you're listening to this, the first will be in, um, will be in theaters already, and the second will be in theaters uh, this coming Friday. But let's start with the first of those, which is the 
uh, Canadian coming of age drama comedy. I like movies, which I saw previously. If you've listened to our, uh, I don't actually, I say our, but Simon wasn't on that episode where I think uh, we talked, me and uh, our friend Dakota Arsenault of ContraZoom Pod did a wrap up of the Vancouver International Film Festival last fall. And it was one that we both talked about, uh, or I think I talked about it and we, about how much I liked it then. And now that it's coming out, Simon has had a chance to watch it. That's right. Uh, um, which is good because, you know, you should see more movies. What, however many movies you watch in your life, you should watch more. So I, I'm i always on Team See It For Yourself. Yes. Um, I Like Movies is the story of a young, uh, socially, socially inept, awkward, asshole um, teenager who mm-hmm. wants to go to film school and has had some uh, – and basically gets a job at a video store – and basically spends the movie being an asshole until he learns not to be an asshole. That's the whole movie. It's a come. It's not that original. It's a. It's a coming of a. It's a very Canadian, Canadian cinephile coming of age story. Um, which, if you were uh, late teens, early twenties in the year two thousand and three, in which this film is set. You may feel, and you were a huge movie dork, you may feel a little bit called out. Specifically targeted, yeah. Yeah, it may be like, I I don't think, I don't think I was that insufferable, but I might have been. I might have been. (laughs) I don't think you were. uh, I don't think I was that angry when I was that young, I think is the difference. Uh, but yeah, this is basically a story about a young man who's angry and 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 socially, like basically, he makes movies his whole personality because he's struggling for connection in in the world, and he does that and suffers for it and learns how to be a better person in the end. Um, I like this movie. I remember quite liking it when I first saw it at Fifth. I liked it still when I watched it recently. Um, it's got a couple of really good performances in it. Um, in particular, I like the kid who's played by, uh, Isaiah Leitonen. Um, and I've totally blanked on the character's name now that I have to say it out loud. Uh, Lawrence, uh, is played by Isaiah Leitonen, who is a Vancouver local, actually. And, um, a couple of good supporting turns as well. Um, it's very low budget. It's mostly shot in one location, um... And I don't, I don't think it's going to be for everyone. Um, but if it's the kind of movie that you might connect with, you will definitely like. It's one of those ones that you're either going to, you know, I think the and the pie chart of like not like and really like and it's fine. That it's fine is going to be the smallest wedge. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, but I liked it. And uh, I, I can hear you sighing in the background, so I'm so, curious. I'm uh, curious to hear how you didn't like it. I'm on the other side of this coin. I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. Um, and I, I don't know. I I majored in drama, and then I taught drama for a long time, and I just found Lawrence as a character completely insufferable and utterly unsympathetic and i get that the 
that his arc is going from insufferable to not being to being sufferable. <laughs> Maybe um, I get that, but I was thinking about similar kinds of movies where you focus on an, uh, someone who's clearly an asshole, and wondering why I think others work better than this. And I think there's got to be an element of sympathy. Even if you think he's an asshole, you've got to kind of empathize with the ways he's being an asshole, especially as um, some things start to come out um, where you, you are given justification for some of his actions, some of his behavior. The main problem I had is that I, completely understand what it was going for but I don't think this script or actually the direction was up to the what it where it needed to be and there was some technical I know it's zero budget and that's fine and there are many zero budget movies that are good uh, I found there's some technical issues that really tore me out at the moment um, there were some performances that didn't really work for me um, but primarily, I don't. Uh, I I don't think this script and the characterization were strong enough to tell the story that they wanted to tell. And Interesting, because so really, uh, really I, I, no. I I because I kind of disagree, and yeah. like so, I will agree that I feel like the direction. Um, I feel like the direction doesn't have that sort of distinct auteur type voice it's very uh that we might be looking for like it's very workmanlike it's very i, I hesitate to say the word basic because i don't i think that has a very negative connotation um that i don't think it deserves but uh chandler levac who wrote and directed the film uh it's her it's her it is her feature directorial debut um and i I, so I don't I don't think it is like amazingly directed from like a technical standpoint, but I don't think it's bad. I think it's just I think that that aspect of it is serviceable, perfectly serviceable. There were a couple of scenes that should not have been takes that were used, where the actors are talking. They begin their lines like overlapping each other, and it's not like a conversational overlap like in Primer. It's like they they do a reset. Like it, there are a couple of scenes that should have been another take and um i and i found the whole thing just quite uh i don't disagree with you at all in that it, basic is a is a good word i think because there was a lot of opportunities for for visual creativity that weren't taken and there was some scene setups and editing and delivery direction that wasn't good and the weird thing is i didn't really like the script i didn't really like the technical aspects. Uh, I, I didn't find the main guy's performance as compelling as you. And and I'm just looking at Wikipedia, and our good friend Rachel is quoted on the Wikipedia for this movie is saying how good his performance is. And and of course she is. Uh, uh, she's she she absolutely knows what she's talking about. So this is two sides of the coin. But for me, it didn't work. But I will say I will it, say that like, and I'm not trying to like call you out by saying this, but I will say that like. In not liking this movie, you are definitely in the minority. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And that's and, I'm not, and that's not a thing yeah, like artist how... artist objective, but it is. It currently sits at one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which yeah, I mean, even I and to be fair, even I'm surprised by that. Like every movie yeah. has 
people who don't like it, right? Like it's this is not that movie. Come on. It's not it's it's if you like it, it's not a one hundred percent perfect movie by any stretch. Like it the weird thing is about this film is that I spent most of it really wanting it to have a more nuance in the script. I wanted there to be sympathy from the main like some sympathetic elements instead of just making him the worst kind of film bro asshole. And maybe because I've taught so many people like this and it's maybe it's like just triggering me for like flashbacks to that. And, and I worked, I know you worked retail for far longer than me, but I worked in music retail for a couple of years and there's a lot of truth in how that, that whole blockbuster setup is, is how teeth grindingly excruciating it is. But I will say there's one moment in this film that is probably one of my favorite film moments that I've seen in the last year, which is so out of nowhere. And it's um, Romina, I can't, it's an Italian name. Is it Duogo? Romina Duogo? You'd know about this pronunciation more than I would. Uh, I I believe that's pretty close to correct, yes. Okay, she plays Alana, the manager of this blockbuster it's called sequels right it's a blockbuster and uh she she uh appears to be one thing and then through her interactions with lawrence there's a truth comes out about her well she's not the film industry anymore and for for that is delivered in a single cut with her pacing back and forth delivering ostensibly what's a monologue um Mm -hmm. whilst in yeah it's a great scene and the camera is passive like it, I feel like that one scene shows that this filmmaker has got some real potential I maybe this maybe it's an experience thing I wanted the rest of the movie to have that kind of thought going into it because she was phenomenal in that scene like and monologues are really really tricky to get right especially one like that and she does so many tiny details that are so true about the rearranging and the fiddling and the slight pacing back and forth it doesn't look formative at all i thought she was just blew me away in that scene phenomenal mm-hmm. and then the rest of the film happens so i kind of it's weird for me to have a movie that didn't work for me really at all um although i found i found the last like 10 minutes quite sweet but also the last scene entirely artificial in its setup and delivery and direction but for a film that I had so many problems with this one little f- like five minute scene in the middle bl- just blew me away absolutely blew me away by so, the by the last scene you mean the one when he is at university yes yes when he yeah. hits the table for the first time and it's you know it's not like I, I don't want to like pick about it too much, but it's, it just wasn't it wasn't good. The it's a, it's right. interesting because I really like that scene because it it rings uh, it rang kind of true for me in that like uh, I I can't really talk about it without like hardcore spoiling the end. But if we think about this, dear listener, as a film about a kid who's learning not to be an asshole, then when he learn when he finally gets to school and meets a bunch of new people for the first time he's trying really, really, really hard to not be an asshole. And it's a huge, it's a huge overcorrection. Um, and that given the way the rest of the movie goes, especially, and given how many people I know and how many, how I was maybe a bit like that, like mm-hmm. that overcorrection rings really true to me is all I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. 
um, and 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 like and like the forced. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say like the forced nature of it also rings really true because when you are first coming out of your shell and when you're first and you're trying to be a nice person, you are and you're actively trying to be uh, a good friend and listener. It does feel really super forced and uh and there's even one character who's like you can chill out a little bit dude <laughs> just yeah, like the I whole bet. thing the, the whole thing like again maybe i feel maybe i liked it because part of me feels super called out by this movie but maybe. that part that part in particular did ring really true to me when i say force i don't i tonally absolutely it's what it should have been i just meant the the, the direction and the delivery it was uh, no, I'm talking about all of it. Like the direction, I found again in that scene fairly passive, but the the way that Isaiah Layton and the way Lawrence approaches that scene, where he's clearly trying and and has no idea what he's doing in trying to be like a good friend and communicator, rings really true to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. So it's interesting because like. We're saying the same thing. I'm just saying that it worked for me. Totally, it's, I mean, know. it's the perfect example of how subjective art is, isn't it? Like, I, I yeah. think that one one scene, that one scene in the middle, makes me very interested to see what this filmmaker does next, and I'll definitely watch it. But the, this film didn't work for me. I just, it just wasn't, didn't feel like ready. Like the script and the direction and the delivery just didn't feel. It didn't have the nuance it needed to tell the story it wanted to tell. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure at least some of that is, you know, budget and time limitations, right? Like I know there's there's lots and lots of low budget films or mid budget films that get that kind of thing really, really right. And maybe that's an experience thing. But ultimately, mm-hmm. Canadian cinema, which this is, I think, is a very good example of. Most of the cinema production in Canada is is American, and we. It's, we don't really talk about this, but Canadian the Canadian film industry is actually quite small and not really as valued as maybe it should be because we give all of our resources to American productions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this might be a case of maybe I'm a little more forgiving of that because um, because I feel like they just never have the time or money that they need to get it to 100%. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's a shame. And maybe and uh, maybe yeah. maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. But uh, that's I, I'm always a little more forgiving of, of stuff that is like see, by Canadians for Canadians because of maybe. that. Maybe I would be if I hadn't seen some absolutely phenomenal Canadian low budget movies in the last couple of years that have really blown me away. Like I think when you're a low budget filmmaker, the delivery of the actors is one of the few things you do have left to control because you don't have the money and you don't have the time, but you do have your ability to frame and shoot actors and and I've seen so many good zero budget Canadian movies and I've seen so many that would be much, much better if, if, uh, if they just had a bit more maybe experience, maybe work, but the, the fact this person is making movies and hopefully is continuing to make movies. And this has obviously struck a chord with many, many people. So it's likely she's going to get funding to make something else. Now this is all good. This is all positive And I will definitely watch what she makes because I think there's massive potential there. I just don't, don't think this showed it or yeah. used it. Fair Funny. enough. Anyway. Um, I don't think we can talk too much more without 
giving it away. But so how many, I mean, you didn't like it. How many, I'm going to, I think I originally gave it four stars. I am, um, and uh, I think, I think probably I will, uh, I'm sort of struggling on whether I want to keep it at four, maybe knock it down to three. Cause I did, I did. I mean, I saw it at VIF, and I, it was one of the only the only film I saw at Vancouver International Film Festival in person last year. And I saw it with a group mm-hmm. of friends, and it was a really good night. Um, mm-hmm. um, that's a big thing as well. As well, we shouldn't downplay the feeling of what. Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm content to now, for now to leave it at four stars. How many are you going to give it? It's two for me. It's a two star yeah. for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I didn't um, hate it like I hated uh, Knock at the Cabin. <laughs> so it doesn't seem fair to give it one. And that that one scene alone is going to give it an extra star um, from Romina Duogo. Du- it's it's funny, actually, because I was talking with my wife about our, our discussion of Knock at the Cabin. And I mentioned, and she was like, she didn't really get why you didn't like it. And then I was like, well, he doesn't really like M. Night Shyamalan movies in general. And she was like, why did you watch that movie then? Like, we can tear it apart. Yeah, it's funny. Only, only we had a podcast which she could listen to where I explicitly lay out why I don't like that movie. Yeah. yeah. You anyway. Do that thing where you, where you play it and then just watch her reactions. Just yeah. like, like it's really important to you. Yeah. Okay. Two good, stars from good. me. All right, well, let's um, let's move on then. That's I Like Movies, which is currently playing in cinemas in Canada from Mongrel Media uh, and does have international distribution, but I don't know what that is looking like right now. But it is in theaters, and uh, I at least, again, uh, doesn't even if I don't like it, I would say I'm on team see it for yourself. But uh, oh, you, should go see, you should go see it because it's Canadian and it's in Canadian cinemas. And this is a message to everyone who might be listening who says that like they only ever make superheroes. They don't make movies for adults anymore, <laughs> man. Um, there's yeah, one in cinemas it. right now, right yeah. now, and you can go see it mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, and speaking of which here, we're going to talk about another film that happens to be one of those movies. Uh, so let's move on to uh, the, uh, the movie Inside, starring Willem Dafoe, which premiered just recently at the Berlinale Festival in Shocker, Berlin. Um, <laughs> wow. And uh, this movie, I mean, I, I, normally this is where I would ask Simon to give us a breakdown of the movie, but the breakdown yeah, of the I'll movie that. is is that it is, that it is Willem Dafoe oh, in a penthouse apartment. Um, inside. <laughs> in, inside an apartment. That is, is the... That's the this whole movie, pl- folks. It's as plain level uh, of title descriptions. Um, he is inside, but it's... Um, the interesting thing about this movie is that what you realize after watching it is that it's not quite the movie that the trailer kind of tells you it's going to be. I mean, it's, I it's think much, I, I think you figure that out pretty quick. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so it's not, it's not about him being inside the apartment. It's we're inside his head. Ooh. Yeah. It's What's about his his descent into madness, man. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because I love bottle movies. I really love you put your character in a situation from which they are in danger and from which they cannot escape, but from which they must escape if they want to survive and then watch them escape through their ingenuity. And there's always 
some twist where something they tried at the beginning turns out to be the thing that gets them out at the end. And um, I love bottle movies. It's one of my favorite genres. And uh, uh, I was expecting this to be more like that, but it's it's really not, is it? There's a few, there, there, there is a through line of him trying to escape, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's not not that. No, no, uh, absolutely. It's but just it's, also not primarily that. No, I was expecting it to be primarily that. And it is... Um, I, it's weird because I don't want to f- feel disappointed by this movie because if someone said to me, hey, do you want to watch a movie where Willem Dafoe gets trapped in an art, uh, like art collector's apartment and slowly descends into madness, I'd be like, well, yes, like I will watch Willem Dafoe slowly descend into madness for two hours. That is something he is very, very good at. And so maybe it was expectations versus reality, but um, it's it's not your typical... Uh, bottle movie, but it is a little bit superficial. But it is an examination of he's he's in a, a billionaire's apartment full of art and nothing of use whatsoever. If he needs to survive, like there's one one particularly clear moment that stated is that there's loads of cans but no tin opener, mm-hmm. and and uh, and his kind of reaction to the art around him. I mean, what do you? What's your take on it? I mean, it's it's tough to discuss how I feel about this film without kind of spoiling what this film actually is, and I feel like that might be best discovered on your own. Um, but yeah, like all of the... I didn't watch the trailer, but I assume that the trailer is basically just all scenes of him trying to escape. And yes. I would be... I would imagine that in a three-minute trailer, it could contain almost all of the scenes of him trying to escape because the point of this movie is just him, him inside. Like I I texted you last night. (laughs) I texted you last (laughs) night when I was watching this movie or after I watched this movie that, um, and it was uh, an animated gif of that scene from arrest development where Michael Bluth, uh, opens up the fridge and finds a bag that says dead dove do not eat. And he takes the bag out and he opens it. And then he looks up and says, well, I don't know what I expected. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that was basically me with this movie, if that makes sense. You know, like, like the whole setup is Willem Dafoe trapped inside for an hour and 45 minutes. And yeah, that it, it delivers on that. It delivers on that. Um, and the, it has a really interesting through line of him trying to escape, but also most of the film is more concerned with, with what he's doing when he's not trying to escape and how he's just trying to, exist in solitude as like this is definitely part of the cinema of covid like it's like it's a very unsubtle metaphor for being trapped inside away from a world you can only see through windows you can't even break his only real interaction is with uh with a pigeon that gets trapped on the enclosed balcony of the apartment that he can't get outside to interact with um he can only sort of like coo at it through a window uh, and and ultimately, yeah, he descends into madness. And there's a, a bunch of stuff I want to talk about that I'm not going to, because I feel like the last third of this movie, the the themes really come to a head, and yeah. the sort of the the artist's intention with this installation, uh, really become come to the forefront in the third act. Yeah. Um, because uh, it's really it, it ends up being really very much 
you know, you say he's trapped in an apartment that's full of art, none of which is of any use. And then um, it's also a movie, so it's art itself. And, like, just go down that rabbit hole and you'll sort of get to where I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the metaphors you know are, not, are not subtle in this movie at all. Yeah, it's... Like, it's yeah, there's yeah. no deep read here. Uh, there's interesting when, in the last third, there's more... Um, there's more... Not psychedelics, the wrong word. Psychic, psychotic elements come in. They, like, I mean, yeah, he begins begins to hallucinate, and yeah. and you see the things that he sees that aren't actually there, and then they're, they're not fully explained. Some of them, particularly towards the end, who these people actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and then the end, of course, the end is a question left for you to answer, and I don't think you could say anything more than that without um, spoiling it completely, but. Um, yeah, if you're if you're one of the people who could never let go whether the top fell over at the end of Inception, then uh, you might have a hard time with this movie. I'm just because <laughs> the ending is very open. Uh, and, say, uh, yeah, you know, like it's it's a, it's a binary though, isn't it? There's no sort of gray area at the end. It, it's either one or the other, and it's up for you to decide what you think it might be. And and I don't think either version is wrong it doesn't tell you that one is clearly right over the other i think it's what what you want the ending to be it can be um but it is very much a piece of art about art and about being trapped within that and being obsessed with it and he's we don't really find that too much about him his character's nemo which i'm sure is another (laughs) very shrouded metaphor and uh he's an he was clearly an artist he's art trained or interested in anyway and um that that comes to the forefront of his uh isolation as well so uh, it's one of those i would love to know actually if william defoe and the director whose name eludes me for the moment were uh, friends ba- before this. Vasilis Katsupis, I believe Thank is his you. name. Because this is his only his his second film and the first since twenty fifteen. I think and it's actually I, his uh, his feature debut as well. I think his other film might, yeah, be, a sh- might, uh, might be a short. Right, right, right. And it feels like, hey, Willem, I've got the script where it's basically you in this apartment. We can shoot it in like four, five days. <laughs> and, uh, and it's you. It's a piece of theatre, basically. It reminded me a lot of Metamorphosis as well, particularly as his, um, his very... Uh, uh, gangly ribby body is used very much as a performance element. Like he, mm-hmm. um, he, he contorts and bends and twists, and his ribs stick almost painfully out of his chest. And and Willem Dafoe has such a specific face anyway, which has always been used really, really well. And it's used well here as well. And it did feel like a piece of theatre at, at many, many points, but. Um, it, it would have been hard to, to pull this off in the way because there's so many visions that we see as well. It's it's uh, it's one of those lovely bits of theatre that could only be done on film as effectively. So I yeah, I don't. If... I, d- I don't think you could not. I don't think you could not do it as a theatre piece, but I don't. Yeah. It wouldn't be as immersive, especially in the last act. I don't think. Yeah. Sure. Um. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh. It's an interesting movie, would be the way to frame it. <laughs> um, it's interesting too because it is really just the Willem Dafoe show. Like there are, yeah. um, there are 
two other people in it who never speak um, and who really, who don't really appear. It's difficult to say how they, mm. how they appear, but they don't really appear in reality. They only really appear in his hallucinations. Um, it's really, really not much dialogue in this movie at all. One of the other characters speaks in one hallucination and William Defoe like mumbles and chants to himself now and again, but it's mainly a piece of physical theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. I, it reminded me a lot, not in terms of it's like themes or tone, but the only other film I've seen that's even close to this is that uh, movie from the mid teens uh, directed by JC Chandor called all is lost, which is just um, uh, oh, five. I could see uh, Robert Redford on a sinking sailboat. Um, and that, that movie doesn't quite have the thematic through line that this one does, or at least not that I remember. Um, but it very much is like another one where it's like very much a piece of physical theater of a man going through a thing, surviving through an ordeal. Mm. Um, and um, if you like that one, you'll probably like this one. Yeah. So I think yeah. if you, if, if you go in with expectations of it being, Willem Dafoe's slow descent into artistic madness. And if that's what you want to watch, I think you're going to be satisfied. But I think if you go in like I did, based on the feeling that he's going to try and get actively get out, and the movie's going to be about him being ingenious and using stuff around the house to get out, then I think it's going to come up a little bit short for you. It, there is there is going to be people that watch this and think it's an overly pretentious like waste of time. Mm-hmm. And so I your mileage is really going to vary on this on what your uh what your mileage is on artistic pretension and uh slow burning like psychological movie like this yeah because i mean it's not not that <laughs> it's yeah it, like right it's, it is it is a movie that, like in a, our current our current um climate of film you know, plot is king, and this movie doesn't so much have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your mileage is definitely going to mm-hmm. going to vary based on how 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 far into the plot is the only thing that matters mindset you are. I wonder basically. actually if this if this probably plays better in a cinema in a big dark room where you're isolated with him. Um. I mean, every every so, film probably works better in a cinema. Would be my like I remember. Yeah, I, it's not thematically similar, but I watched Under the Skin, that Scarlett Johansson movie, by myself in an empty theater, and I think the effect that had on me, the situational effect that had on me, whilst watching that, and you can't escape it. It's huge in front of you, and you can't escape what you're seeing. I get the feeling this is going to be an empty theater thing. I don't think many people are going to go and see this. And I, I think it might be enhanced by being semi alone in a giant dark room with it. Maybe because it's so visual as well. So it, it might actually enhance it. I yeah. I think also it's definitely like the, the point of the film might be better made in a situation mm-hmm. like, you know, we having home screeners for it. Um, might actually be maybe detrimental, not, not detrimental, but like, I think the ability to look away at all might actually be detrimental to the experience of the film. 
And also, when your name isn't splashed across the bottom in a watermark, that might help as well. Well, that's a different, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, w- so I would say that I would say that honestly that like that didn't bother me because I've had so many that are so much worse. Oh but my anyway. god! Are we naming names here? Nope, we're not. We're okay. just not going to go down that road today. I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. So, how many stars are you landing with this then? Three. I give it three. I generally speaking, I liked it, um, and I think it's a really interesting and experimental. And I am tempted to give it more, but I would say that it is a little too. Uh, what's the right word here? It's a yeah <clears throat> three. We'll just stick with saying that it's a three star movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I hundred percent agree. I think um, there's a lot here to like, and there's a lot here to 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 see. And Willem Dafoe is the perfect kind of performer for this, but it wasn't subtle and really anything it was trying to say. And uh, yeah, unsubtle. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. It's a little yeah. too unsubtle yeah. to be it's an interesting any more than three. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Three stars for me, too. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. Well, shall we wrap up there? We should. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, if you... One thing we didn't actually announce on the show last week is we do... We are now paying attention to our patron, patrons, our Patreon subscribers. So each week we are going to be uploading... Basically, all of the banter we go through before we start recording as bonus ramblings. Um, the last week we talked uh, at length about the last Starfighter. This week we talked about uh, Stuart McLean, the Vinyl Cafe, which is a very Canadian thing. Um, but if you are a patron at any tier, uh, you can hear that by checking it out, and that'll be out on the feed uh, on the patron feed. Um, and tonight, if you're listening to this on Sunday, March the 12th, which is the day it comes out, we will be doing our annual Oscars live blog this evening. Uh, look for that at awesomefriday.ca as well. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you to everyone who is listening. Uh, whether you're new or old, we appreciate that you're here. If you like what you've heard and if you want to hear the bonus material, please consider giving us a, uh, you know, smash that like button, hit the subscribe button, give us a five-star review, or support us via Patreon again for the bonus material. Um, you can find us on the socials. I am at SmatthewAF, uh, and Simon is at TemporaryPen uh, on the Twitters. And the show is at AwesomeFridayCA. Uh, basically every social media word exists. Um, yeah, true. Um, we record this here in Vancouver on the uh, ancestral lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. One more time, thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye.